The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So good morning. Can you hear at this volume? It's okay? All right, great. So today we're going to start a three-week series called Beautifying the Mind. And I found this theme particularly inspiring for the beginning of the year. Something to kind of launch ourselves with a, a positive beginning. So the path of Buddhist practice includes both letting go of harmful actions and cultivating wholesome actions and mind states. And each of these actually can be said to beautify the mind. It makes it more beautiful, (laughs) more wholesome, more skillful. And so in this series of talks, we're going to examine some of the key areas of practice that help us to cultivate the mind. You know, focusing more on the cultivation aspect. These include areas like generosity, harmlessness, goodwill, and of course, meditation. So one relevant verse that uh, came to mind as I was contemplating this was this one from the Dhammapada. Doing no evil, engaging in what's skillful, and purifying one's mind, this is the teaching of the Buddhas. So those three simple actions, if we can do those in our lifetime, that really encompasses the, the path. Now these three are not really separate, actually, but they're different aspects of the path that we can attune to. In these talks, we'll be focusing primarily on the second and third, but restraint, the first one, doing no evil, in fact, does the same thing, has the same effect. So one useful thing about looking at the path from this perspective of beautification or cultivation is that it helps us learn something that might not feel natural for us but is very important and that is to recognize the beautiful states because we all have them they're not really absent um, but we don't notice them or we don't notice the beneficial things we do the beneficial things we think we tend to focus more on the negative You know, oh, I screwed that one up. Or, oh, I don't like the way I tend to do such and such. It's very easy for our mind to go that way. We seem attuned to our faults and the faults of the world also. Now, I've heard that this may have an evolutionary basis, which I'll pass along because I think it's kind of interesting, but I I haven't uh, researched this deeply myself. But it is said that uh, you can imagine during the course of evolution that the the animals or the little creatures that uh, worried a lot about whether something was safe were more likely to reproduce, right? You know, if they think about, is that going to harm me? I don't think I want to do it. Even if it wasn't true, if, if one time it was true, they lived a little bit longer and had a better chance of passing on what? Those anxious genes. <laughs> Whereas the animals that said, oh, I'm sure it's all fine, everything's la-di-da, might have gotten eaten. (laughs) So that's the theory. However, in our lives, in the modern world, as intelligent, functioning humans, 
these old evolutionary things aren't as relevant, but they're still kind of there. So maybe, maybe that's relevant. So mindfulness is the savior, as always. Mindfulness of wholesome states helps nourish these states, helps them make, make them occur more frequently. So if you've never really looked at your own beauty, now would be a fine time to start. As a small example, um, I live in, and work at a retreat center, at the Insight Retreat Center. And on retreats, everybody does a little job, like about 45 minutes of cleaning or chopping vegetables, something like that. It's called the yogi job or the work meditation. And basically, this helps keep the retreat running. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that has to be done to keep 40 people there overnight. And um, these little, you know, the jobs, of course, become a meditation that we do, but they're basically a form of generosity, you know, contributing small thing to the whole. And if everybody does their small thing, then it all works. But very few people, or at least that I'm aware of, see this as an act of generosity and are really tuned in while they're doing it to how much they're giving at that moment. It's much more about, oh, you know, darn, I have to do my work meditation now. It's a distraction from practice or my wrist hurts so much when I chop the vegetables, these kinds of things. But it's actually an act of giving. Can we just tune into that? And there's one more challenge, actually, which is that even if we do notice the beautiful states arising in our mind, we may still have some kind of aversive response to them. On top of that, we may resist or be afraid of states like joy, generosity, peacefulness, loving kindness, we start having too much of that going on in our mind, we get nervous. What? Calm? That doesn't feel natural. I'm making a little bit light of it, but it's, it's kind of true, is that we, we can actually be afraid of our own beauty. Andrea tells a story about this, actually. She was one time, I think just sitting at her kitchen table, something mundane, and she felt a lot of joy arising. I mean, she'd been practicing and was mindful at that moment. And she just suddenly felt this overflowing of joy. And she immediately felt like a tamping down of it come out and say, oh, no, not, not so much of that. And um, fortunately, in, in her words, wisdom drifted through <laughs> at that moment. And she had the thought, oh, it's okay, this is temporary. Uh, this this massive joy that's arising is not going to be here forever. And so, sort of ironically, that was how she could open to it, <laughs> is by knowing that it wasn't going to be there forever. If that's what it takes, that's fine. Um, but it's a, it's a difficult but important practice for some people to start really feeling and recognizing and being willing to abide in these beautiful states. So we're going to start with generosity. Generosity has a special place in the Buddhist teachings. It's on a lot of the lists. And every list that it's on, it's first, showing how foundational it is. Whenever the Buddha gave what's called a graduated discourse, which was when he kind of gave his whole teaching from start to finish, he always started with generosity. And that was to prime the minds of his listeners in order to get them into a state where they could really hear the teachings well. Now, of course, you know, generosity or giving or the value of that is not special to Buddhism. It's all religions and moral systems value this. And it's a natural entry point. 
So just a natural entry point for these beautiful good states in us. But it's definitely not uh, child's play. It's not the simplest teaching. You don't have to relax now and say, oh, Kim's giving us the kindergarten teaching today. Actually, generosity is going to be with us all along the path. It can be a challenging practice, and it can reach to the deepest depths of what we're letting go of. So it's very, it's foundational, but also integral to the path. And it's present at the end, even all the way to the end. So today we're going to look at giving as a practice, you know, things that we can do to practice it, but then how that develops also into a deep heart quality. It becomes something that's more part of us. As a practice, it's something that can be held in the realm of mindfulness. We can use it to cultivate mindful awareness, compassion, and wisdom. And then slowly but surely, it grows into our very being and simply becomes part of who we are. So maybe we'll start with the very basic question of what is a gift? You know, if we're giving, what is, that? what is that that's being given? So we might naturally think of physical things or money, you know, the kind of tangibles. And these are, of course, what's meant in generosity practice. These are very important things to learn to let go of, to share. Uh, We don't take care of all our own physical needs as humans, so we need other people to support us physically. So this is very important. But at the same time, it goes beyond this to gifts of time, attention, you know, our energy in the form of volunteering, a smile, we can always give that, um, wisdom, giving the Dharma, being generous with our uh, mentioning wholesome qualities of other people, do we freely give compliments and praise to those who are praiseworthy? And a related aspect, just kind of a flip of the hand related to giving is letting go so we can also give in the form of letting go of control letting go of our opinions letting go of our prejudgments you know letting go of these things that make us grip in situations and make situations harder adds friction so it's an act of giving to let go and slide more freely into a situation So is there a hierarchy? What's the value of a gift? Actually, it depends on a lot of conditions. The value of a particular gift, including how much the person gave relative to what they have, in a sense, or what they're able to. There's a wonderful story of um, the Buddha was in the forest with a group of people one time, and he was going to give a teaching. And just when he was about to start, uh, the sun was going down and night was, you know, it was getting dark, basically. And so, you know, people said, oh, we need, we need light. And some people said, oh, I can run back into town and get my lantern or I can um, bring a torch. And a, a very old woman who had basically only an alms bowl, she was an alms mendicant, uh, offered her bowl as an oil lamp. You know, she said, we can put the oil in my bowl. And because it was her only possession, the Buddha immediately recognized that this was actually the greatest gift Um, because it was such a large fraction of what she had that she was offering. So that's what he, he praised it highly, and that was the light source he chose. 
So the practice of generosity, because this is a practice that we do to develop. So to begin treating generosity as a practice, instead of focusing only on what is being given, we also add in the consideration of how and why we're giving. So how means how does our body and our mind feel as we're doing it, you know, kind of what's our, and what's our manner of doing it. And then why is about our motivation behind the giving, you know, the intention that's there, also very rich. So we'll look at some of those. One small exercise that you could do you know, you can do it right now if it's coming to mind, but something that we can reflect on is to just recollect a time recently when you gave something and try to choose a time. You know, it could be anything, but maybe choose a time when it was a pretty simple act of giving, not complex, not tied up with a lot of stuff. And if possible, you can feel into, you know, what did your body feel like while you were doing that? what was in your mind as you were doing that. My own small example is that we, um, I recently gave away something free online because we had some extras at the retreat center. And it was a fluorescent light, you know, nothing very exciting. And it was functional, but we didn't need it. So I, I felt, Actually, it felt very nice to give it. I, it was a simple act. A guy responded, showed up, picked up the light. And I could see how happy he was to receive it because he was getting something that he didn't have to pay for and it was useful to him. And I also felt this lightness of not having it in the garage anymore. <laughs> like, it's very, this is very simple stuff, but how often do we tune into, you know, or is it more like, okay, that's off my hands, that item is checked off my list, got rid of the light. You know, it, it was a moment of an exchange of giving, and so I tuned in to feeling that. So mindfulness of generosity, really being mindful of what that feels like and how it affects our body and mind. These are some questions that we can ask ourselves to help determine if we're giving and receiving with mindfulness. Receiving is also useful, part of, part of generosity. I have a handout actually that lists these, so I'm gonna go get that later. So I'll just go through them somewhat at a top level to maybe help fill out you know, what, what we can be examining in the practice of generosity. So we can ask what's happening in my body when I give, what's happening in my mind. Is there a sense of ease, openness, and non-sentimental loving-kindness and compassion in my heart, body, and mind? Is there a feeling of depletion, weakness, fear, anger, or confusion? A contraction of my heart, body, or mind? Is that Well, sometimes we may notice that that happens when we give, and it's helpful to attune to that, too. And an interesting question, can I go beneath my stories, ideals, and beliefs about how I want the exchange to be or not be, or how I believe it is supposed to be or not supposed to be? Yeah, so often we're not just giving. That's why I asked to, to think of a simple act of giving, because we make it not simple. You know, We make it very complex about what's all this saying about me and about them and about us and 
all of that. And so this asks us, can I go beneath my stories? It recognizes that the stories are kind of happening at a top level, a surface level, and underneath is maybe where it's a better place to tune to that actual giving that's going on. Can I mindfully recognize when I am caught in stories, beliefs, or wishful or aversive thoughts in relation to generosity? That's kind of a prerequisite. Can I even notice that that's what's going on? Really delving into the complexity of what I'm feeling and when I might be caught. So mindful attention to giving can also help us know more clearly how much to give in a particular situation and whether or not it's appropriate to give at all. Sometimes we might get the impression, because generosity is often touted as something important, we were told it was good to share when we were children, that kind of thing, that it's just always, we should always give as much as possible. And that's not actually what the Buddha taught. Uh, He taught that we should give appropriately and in the right way. So some questions that we might consider are, and again, these are also on the handout, Am I giving beyond what is appropriate or giving beyond what may be healthy for myself emotionally and or physically? Are my heart, body, and mind relaxed, open, and joyful when I feel I've given just enough? Or do I experience anguish and contraction of the heart, body, and mind in giving too much? And probably we have to learn this experientially. You know, probably we have to give too much at some point and then realize ah, this is starting to go beyond what feels comfortable for me. Actually, what the Buddha taught, by the way, is non-harming. So he taught that giving should be done in a way that does not harm self, other, or both. So it's useful to be attuned to the fact that there are acts of giving that can be harmful, and those are not acts of generosity. So those are acts of improper giving, and so to be attuned to that. And finally, another question, am I aware of when the most generous act might be to step back and simply let people take care of themselves, to let go and allow a particular situation to just be and work itself out? And for some people that's not such an important question because they're trying to become more giving, um, trying to uh, learn to to be able to step in, have the confidence to help. And for some, that's the most critical question because they are helpers and uh, they feel that always they need to get in and fix. And um, there are times when that's not the most important thing and there are times when that need to fix is actually coming from our own discomfort, our own ability to be with a situation. And so we think, So generosity slips in, the idea of generosity slips in as a uh, tool that we can use when we're actually, what we're actually feeling is aversion and we want this to stop. So we try to fix it. So giving, so I hope I'm not making it too complicated. Giving can be a complex act or a simple one and it gets more complex the more identified and entangled we are. Uh, It can be simple. We can often discern mixed motives in what we're doing when we start looking at that. So for example, we may give expecting something in return. We may expect to be liked by giving something. 
we may expect to be accepted, honored, recognized, or acknowledged by certain people. We may give in order to think well of ourselves. I'm a generous person. (laughs) Good thing I gave. Or we may give in order to become a generous person. And I actually just said that a few minutes ago. Somebody wants to become more giving. Now that is actually a wholesome wish. The others are borderline. Uh, That one's actually a wholesome wish. But in a way, it's still a little bit self-centered, right? It's about what I want to become. I am going to be X. So I'll immediately say that please don't shy away from giving if you detect some of these motives present. Our task, as always, is to be mindful of our motives. Uh, It's the usual way of our mind to have these other things going on, these little senses of, I want something from this, Uh, I want to be a certain way because of this. If you detect that that's floating around there, give anyway from the deepest understanding that you have at that moment. Give anyway from the deepest sense of loving kindness or compassion or generosity that you're feeling and just let that other motive be there and be mindful of it. That's my general advice, of course, whatever will, uh, whatever's appropriate for the moment is the best. So aim to see the the best motivations that you have and try to act from those. Soon enough, I think, in doing this kind of practice, we'll be able to tune into the good feelings that are associated with giving, and then those become their own motivation, right? We begin to tune into that sense of lightness, that sense of ease, the sense of joy when we're giving, and, you know, as we tune into that, the mind will seek to have that again, and that creates a kind of a nice feedback loop to help develop the quality of generosity. So I have a few examples of how we might practice with generosity in our daily life. One of them I heard from a a friend recently. She, um, she's a grandmother and her granddaughter really wanted an Apple Air. Is that what it's called? The the new laptop that they make. But it's quite expensive. Um, and the grandmother, however, had made a practice of not disappointing her granddaughter. I don't know if this was wise. She wanted to be seen as generous, basically. Uh, wanted to be seen as, you know, the, the good grandmother. Quite perceptive of her to realize that that was what was going on in her mind. And that's pretty self-aware. And so, you know, she was a little skeptical, though, because this was a little out of her price range, this laptop. Uh, And the the granddaughter actually sent a a list of attributes comparing a Mac to a PC and had, you know, sort of a side-by-side comparison explaining. But but she left off in this comparison, she left off the price. (laughs) Um, And so the grandmother asked her to please include the price in her next comparison and I'm not, I'm not, it's starting to get complex, right? Complex and uncomfortable. And um, so these are real life, this is real life stuff that's going to come up, right? And in the end, the grandmother kind of meditated on it and thought about it. And she decided to write her granddaughter a check toward a computer, quote unquote, but not for the full amount of that computer. So she would have to figure out what to do. Do I buy a less expensive one or do I, say, get a job and earn the money myself for the rest of it? Something like that. And what was 
interesting that she shared with me is that she realized that even if she were to splurge in this one case and say, okay, I'm just going to do it this one time, that that would actually only lead to another desire in her granddaughter. That's wise. Yeah, so she had to let go of this image of herself, of the perfect grandmother who fulfills every wish. Why? Because the granddaughter started kind of pushing on that. So what do we do? You know, what do we do when we encounter other people's possibly outrageous desires and wants? So this is a case where we really have to look into ourselves and say, how can I be generous and in a way that doesn't harm self, other, or both? I think it's a fantastic real-life example. And she was able to come to peace. You know, it wasn't the ideal situation for her where she got to just fulfill the wish and be the good grandmother, but that's not what life gives us. It gives us good practice situations. And in the end, she was able to learn something about herself and make a choice that she was happy with, and we'll see how that relationship evolves. Maybe in a good way. Maybe that was very compassionate. There was a, There's a story in the suttas, by the way, um, where somebody is very is fairly well off and they have kind of a ne'er-do-well, I think it's a brother, some relative, who often comes and asks for money and the person just keeps giving it to him and but he fritters it away and then has to come ask for more. And he goes to the Buddha and he says, you know, I, I keep supporting this person because I love them and I care about them and I'm gener- I want to be generous, but it, it sort of isn't really going anywhere and they just keep coming back. And the Buddha said, oh, you should stop giving to him. Um, you know, he said, it's just not valuable anymore. I'm sure he said it maybe more wisely than that, but that was basically the more, that's the, basically the direct teaching was, you know, it's, it's beyond what's helpful. So that's how we, we want to have helpfulness in mind when we give, what's actually beneficial. Other things that we'll encounter, at the checkout stand, they say, would you like to give a dollar to muscular dystrophy, breast cancer, etc. And sometimes it's very easy and natural to say, oh yes, of course, that's, that would be great, and you have that good feeling. And sometimes our mind isn't there, right? <laughs> and there may be a sense of, why are you asking me this publicly, where you know, other people are listening to what I say? Um, can we learn to hold situations like that honorably, not have the feeling of guilt? I don't know. So that's a direct area that we need to work with in daily life because it's going to come up every time we're at the grocery check stand, right? How do we feel? So that's an excellent time to tune in to how we're feeling and be really honest and be able to honor, you know, ourself and our higher motives and our where we are at that moment. Another practitioner shared with me, um, he's a... a a father of daughters who are 11 and 13, and they've gotten to the stage where they don't really want his help. <laughs> and he, But he wants to help them. You know, He likes to support them, likes to do things for them, and they're starting to get to the age where they say, oh, don't do that, Dad. I'm embarrassed to be with you, or I don't want that, or something. And um, it, he, he noticed that it was hard for him not you know, to kind of have that feeling of them becoming more independent and not wanting his help all the time. So that was something for him to work with and learn what is really generous, what is really supportive for my daughters as they're growing up. Actually, it reminded me of um, 
my sister, who when she was, I think a little older than that, but similar, maybe 15 or something, she gave my father a Father's Day card. Um, She gave our father a Father's Day card that on the front it said, Dad, you were always there when I needed you. And then you open it up and it says, and sometimes when I didn't. (laughs) He laughed. He he kept it on his desk for years. (laughs) He thought it was very appropriate, <laughs> but it was, it very much expressed what she was feeling at that time. <laughs> so another, another dimension of generosity practice is, of course, receiving. I alluded to that earlier. It's worth noticing that receiving, um, noting that receiving is part of generosity practice. Receiving graciously is a gift to the person giving us something. And there's this is a moment, actually, particularly in receiving, we can tune into the kind of vulnerability of the exchange that's going on when a gift is given. Uh, it's actually quite vulnerable to receive something. It can feel that way. And then I've actually tuned into that it's actually a little bit vulnerable to give something, too. You know, we're making an offering. Are they going to take it? How are they going to receive it? Um, now, we can get all entangled with that, uh, you know, what it says about me, what it says about them, what I was talking about earlier, but there is at least, that comes out of maybe the discomfort of that slight vulnerability of holding something out. And then receiving then becomes a beautiful act if we can take that in a way that makes the person feel that they've given, make that whole exchange something beautiful. Now, if you're feeling like, wow, I'm not really at that level all the time, that's fine. Generosity in both giving and receiving is something that develops slowly and gradually, like every other quality of the heart. It develops as we learn to pay attention to it, as we give it our, our heartfulness, our sincere effort. So generosity as a heart quality or disposition is something that starts to come about through this kind of practice. And I have a, a little reading from, um, I, I don't know if it's a book, it's called The Gift by Lewis Hyde. And it's about, this particular part is about Pablo Neruda, the poet. So Lewis Hyde writes, playing in the lot behind the house one day when he was still a little boy, Neruda discovered a hole in a fence board So this is now Neruda. I looked through the hole and saw a landscape like that behind our house, uncared for and wild. I moved back a few steps because I sensed vaguely that something was about to happen. All of a sudden a hand appeared, a tiny hand of a boy about my own age. By the time I came close again, the hand was gone, and in its place there was a marvelous white toy sheep. I looked back through the hole, but the boy had disappeared. I went in the house and brought out a measure of my own, a pine cone, opened, full of odor and resin, which I adored. I set it down in the same spot and went off with the sheep. I never saw either the hand or the boy again. But this exchange of gifts, mysterious, settled deep inside me like a sedimentary deposit. To feel the intimacy of brothers is a marvelous thing in life. To feel the love of people whom we love is a fire that feeds our life. But to feel the affection that comes from those whom we do not know, that is something still greater and more beautiful 
because it widens out the boundaries of our being and unites all living things. This is the great lesson I learned in my childhood in the backyard of a lonely house. So can you feel how Neruda is pointing toward the notion of giving as a, as a unification, as an act of unification, and as a universal quality of heart that can be non-discriminating? You know, it can be for anyone. So this points toward a deeper quality that we're developing through generosity practice, which is called, usually translated as the disposition to give. And essentially, this is when we change from entering situations with the mind state, what can I get from this, to having the mind state, what can I give in this situation? So in Pali, this attitude is called chaga, chaga, C-A-G-A. And it develops in kind of a snowball effect feedback loop, you know, positive feedback loop. this, was, this is a quote from Dale Wright. Whatever the quality of motivation, when we intentionally, intentionally reach out to others in giving, some degree of transformation occurs. We become what we practice and do in daily life. When we engage in acts of giving, we begin to feel generous, and the force of this feeling encourages our wanting to give. Right? So this is a little bit what I alluded to earlier with learning to tune into the good feeling that comes from giving and then that good feeling generates the desire to want to give again. It's kind of nice, isn't it, that the beautiful qualities feel good. (laughs) That's a great way to practice is to tune into that good feeling and let it grow and feed itself. Not always the way we practice. Bhikkhu Bodhi says it a little differently but similarly. Giving can also be identified with the personal quality of generosity, or chaga. This angle highlights the practice of giving not as the outwardly manifest act by which an object is transferred from oneself to others, but as the inward disposition to give, a disposition which is strengthened by outward acts of giving and which in turn makes it possible, makes possible still more demanding acts of self-sacrifice. Right? So he puts another angle on it. Um, it could just be, you know, moving toward the good feeling of giving and then you want to give other things and eventually you want to let go of things like your opinions, your control, your self-centeredness, um, which Bhikkhu Bodhi calls more demanding acts of self-sacrifice. <laughs> Hopefully you won't be turned off by that language, but I think it's a nice way to say it. It gives us a pre-warning of kind of where we're headed, letting go of... We're going to have to let go of things that we thought were pretty important to us. But this has a fruit. The fruit of generosity practice, the long-term result of practicing generosity in order to beautify the mind, is a mind that's happy in the moment and is also a mind that's primed for worldly wisdom and it's also capable of liberating insight. So generosity prepares us for pretty much everything from now to, you know, to looking deeper. It is said that um, before giving, the mind is happy. While giving, the mind is made peaceful. And after giving, or remembering giving, the mind is uplifted. And I I like those three distinctions. First of all, it encourages us to be aware before, during, and after giving. And there are slightly different flavors, I find, is that there's 
there's a genuine feeling of happiness when I, like when I'm um, walking toward a house with a gift that I'm going to give to somebody when I get there. I feel so happy when I look at that gift. Uh, it just feels good. And then while giving, uh, if it's a simple act, you know, if we're underneath all the stories and the concern about how it is, it really is a peaceful moment. Um, partly, I think, because there's a very slight tension about when the gift is in my hand, but I haven't done it yet, right? I want to, but it hasn't really been achieved. And so there's this feeling like, uh, I want to do this. And it's a wholesome intention. But then at that moment, when it happens, there's like the completion, like the resolution of a chord in music. Ah, there it is. And so there's a very definite feeling of peace. And then afterwards, when it says the mind is uplifted, This is not an arrogant thing at all. We are encouraged, actually, to recall our acts of generosity. Uh, This is considered a very skillful reflection, is to sit back and think about the things that you've given, the times that you were generous, and to be happy about that. You know, to use that as a way of uh, brightening, gladdening the heart, which, of course, supports so many other things. It supports more giving, but it also supports calmness in meditation, for example, So by all means, recollect your times of giving and feel happy about that, feel uplifted. And this is all going in, you know, towards the direction of of wisdom also. So again, from Bhikkhu Bodhi, viewed as the quality of generosity, giving has a particularly intimate connection to the entire movement of the Buddha's path. For the goal of the path is the destruction of greed, hatred, and delusion, and the cultivation of generosity directly debilitates greed and hate while facilitating the pliancy of mind that allows for the eradication of delusion. So he uses fancy long words, but basically he says that giving is directly attacking all three roots that cause suffering, greed, hatred, and delusion. Greed and hatred are uh, attacked directly by the act of giving, because we can't be greedy if we're giving, and we can't hate if we're truly helping someone else by giving. And it also um, opens the mind so that we become less, you know, we, we have the possibility in the act of giving to move beyond the delusion of self and other, for example, or the delusion that I need to hold on to this. It's not permanent anyway. So a generous heart is one that's very close to freedom. In the Zen teachings, there's a wonderful phrase, uh, generosity of being, which is just living in the flow of the Dharma. This is more of a Zen concept. But through our growing wisdom, we lose the delusion that the giver, the receiver, and the gift are kind of distinct entities. They become much more fluid, much less separate. Who's giving? Who's receiving? Anyone who does volunteering will, or often people who do volunteering will say, you know what, they say in secret, you know what, I get more out of it, uh, I feel, than the people I give to. I don't know if that's true or not, but at least they're tuned into, you know, you can't really measure, but they're tuned into the fact that the act of giving is very much an act of receiving also. We aren't diminished at all by giving, we're enriched by it. Marcia Rose says it nicely, We are only temporary caretakers of all that is provided. Essentially, we own nothing. As this understanding takes root in us, there is no getting, possessing, and giving. There's just the spaciousness that allows all things to remain in the natural flow of life. 
So maybe the greatest gift is to give of ourselves, you know, is to really share. The most beautiful thing maybe is to really share who we are. Not easy, (laughs) maybe the task of a lifetime, but well worth it. Just being who we are, giving what is appropriate, understanding that everything is just this flow. So those are my thoughts on generosity. As a preview, I'll just mention that this is again a three-part series and next week we'll be looking at benevolence, which is a word I'm using now. I'm trying it out as a word that encapsulates the beauty of wholesome behavior and emotions that we have in the world. So thank you.